the City of Albuquerque Public Art Urban Enhancement Division and Department of Arts and Culture proudly present Take Another Look. Built on the foundation of two city ordinances, art in municipal places, and the Urban Enhancement Trust Fund, the Public Art Urban Enhancement Division provides funds to artists to create art for the public, as well as arts organizations for arts and cultural programming. Join us as we discuss everything related to funding artists in the public realm with host Joni Palmer. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Take Another Look at Albuquerque's Public Art. This is the first episode of this podcast. Today we will be, we will be talking about what is public art. So we have two guests in the studio today for this inaugural podcast episode. Sherry Brueggemann is the manager of the city's public art program. The city's program is a percent for art program. So tune in for our next episode when we will be talking about the history of the city's percent for art program. So thank you, Sherry, for joining us in the studio today. Thanks, thanks for having me. And we have another guest, uh, Dr. Erica Doss. Uh, Erica, thanks for joining us virtually. And, um, pleasure. And from Dallas, Texas. So. Uh, Erica is the Edith O'Donnell Distinguished Chair at the Institute of Art History at the University of Texas at Dallas. So full disclo disclosure, I worked with Erica while I was working on my PhD. She was a member of my dissertation committee. The title of my dissertation, just in case you're wondering, the <laughs> politics of the public, public art, urban regeneration, and the post-industrial city, the case of downtown Denver. All right, so I'm looking forward to this conversation. So feel free to talk amongst yourselves. I'll be asking you some questions, but I'm looking forward to you two talking. Sure. Okay, so let's start with a question I always enjoy asking uh, and hearing the response. Uh, please tell us a little bit about how you came to work in this field, public art practice and research. And let's start with Erica. So how did you get to where you are in this research? Sure. Um, you know, I was in graduate school and I was working on a dissertation involving uh, pretty well-known mid-century American artists like Thomas Hart Benton and Grant Wood, who worked in Hollywood and um, worked on commission for various promotional campaigns for various movies. And I got really interested in public response to um, American art, modern American art in particular. And at the same time, I was sort of an, an intern um, with the public artist Andrew Lester in Minneapolis. I did my PhD at University of Minnesota. And I got really engaged in sort of working on his various public art projects and helping to promote them. And I became increasingly interested in public response to public art, which differs from um, public response to art in museums or in galleries. And I sort of went from there. I wrote my first book on um, those artists in Hollywood and, and regionalism and abstract expressionism. And then I wrote a second book on public art in the 1980s and the various cultural controversies surrounding it, um, which I continue to write about today. Oh, great, great, thank you. Sherry, how about you? How did you get to be where you are as director of the program here? Uh, well, it's it's been an interesting little path. Um, about the first 10 years of my sort of career in the arts, um, I was a printmaker, 
Uh, I was making my own art. I was printing for other artists. I moved into some gallery management and then worked for some fine art publishers. And um, one of the things that we were publishing were carved sculptures. And I became very interested in sort of like Erica, like how people were responding to sculptures. And right around that same time, uh, the city of Albuquerque started popping up large scale sculptures all over the city uh, because the public art program funds had really started to kick in. And so I kind of volunteered my way into public art in about 1996 and um, worked for the city for about three and a half years uh, in the public art program. Actually got a real job doing it. Um, <laughs> and then um, moved over to Bernalillo County and I managed their public art program for 10 years. And um, then in about 2006, this position uh, here at the city became open and I applied and I've been doing public art management at this program for 15 years. Wow, that's how old is the program? Uh, it is 45 years old, will be in November of 2023. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And you've been there for quite a bit of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we keep saying public art. So uh, I'd, I'd like both of you to give us your definition of public art. And, and I'm, also, I'm thinking about it in terms of, you know, how you, in your practice, in your research, define it. But then how do we translate that to help the public or publics understand what public art is? So, um, Sherry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with you. So how do you define it? Well, I like Gordon Church's definition. Gordon was uh, the public art program manager for many, many years uh, from the 1980s into the early 2000s, and he really uh, weathered a lot of uh, controversies and uh, situations with the city's public art program, but he defined public art uh, as that public art represents an ongoing reaffirmation by the people of a city of who and what they are and what they value. The public art process is an important way for the people in a city to define their identity beyond constructing streets, buildings, and parks. Okay. So what I like about that is he really um, anchors it in process, but part of an urban environment. Okay. <clears throat> and actually, let's, let's go over to Erica, and then we can talk for a couple minutes about how we translate that. How do, how do we help educate the public? So Erica, what's your definition? I like that definition. I think it, it can be expanded as well. So I, I, al I always think of public art as being incredibly diverse, um, multidimensional. Um, I think of public art ranging from monuments and memorials to statues, murals, sculptures, fountains, maybe even public amenities, um, benches and signs, for example. Hmm. Um, and then we have earthworks and, and you know, digital installations. So it's also multidimensional in terms of media. Um, public art ranges widely in terms of its purpose and its function. Um, public art can be the product of a single individual or a collective. It can stand alone or it can be dependent on a, a, a wide range of sort of context. Um, and then the material I'm working on most, most recently is public art is vulnerable and may not be permanent and in mm -hmm. fact is often temporary. So I like to think about public art having a lifespan, um, sort of like the human body. And um, you know, I like to think about you know, ways we might be able to get out of the situations mm -hmm. we tend to be in recently regarding public art we're not very happy with in a lot of our communities. Mm -hmm. So how do you two then 
how are you educating your, you know, here in the city of Albuquerque, the citizens of, of Albuquerque? And, and for you, Erica, you know, in your books, which I've read everything you've written, um, <laughs> uh, you know, you're, you're speaking to a particular audience. Um, how do you translate that to talk with, you know, the layperson? So I'll let you two talk amongst yourselves. Yeah, well, I guess in Albuquerque, we're just constantly trying to reach out to artists. I mean, we've always said that um, artists are our number one constituents. The public is kind of our second constituents, mm. because without the public supporting the program, we wouldn't be able to fund artists. But without artists, there's no public art. So it's really, really important for us to bring artists into understanding our processes. We've tried to make as low barrier processes as we can on every single project that we do. We figure out a new way to reach out to artists to make their application process easy and, um, you know, help them understand, uh, you know, uh, how we are responsible stewards of public dollars, but also want to support and um, uh, foster, you know, the creativity that they have to offer in, mm. in the form of public art. Yeah, yeah. I think that's totally appropriate. I, I think one thing that I like to, to write about and think about is um, not only process and practice, um, and you know what artists are up to, um, but also the stories that they tell and which particular stories are being told at which particular mm -hmm. moments. I'm, I'm an art historian, so I'm interested in past stories, whether or not they have any relevance in present day or even future histories. Um, you know, that's sort of what I've been thinking a lot about uh, in terms of I'm, what I'm writing. I'm also really interested in new media, um, how public artists today um, can sort of reckon with um, these issues of permanence and, and temporality and changing demographics and changing mm -hmm. audience needs. And, you know, is new tech going to come to the fore for them? And I think it's really fascinating what so many artists are doing with new technologies. Um, you know, public art is, it's not just a guy on a horse anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not necessarily, you know, this invitational bowl or space that people walk into. It can be really complicated. Um, and I appreciate the complications. Um, I mean, I think our civic sphere needs as many nuances and complications as possible. One of, one of my favorite artist quotes is from an artist who came here, um, I, I guess about seven or eight years ago. And uh, he, get, he did a talk for artists because um, he works around the country. And he said that public art is the hurt locker of the arts world. <laughs> and That's he's kind of right, because you right? have to sort of like suit up, you have to get ready, you have to go in and make your presentations, and you have to be ready for whatever things might be kind of like thrown at you. And that happens at every step of the process. Mm -hmm. But um, at the same time, here in Albuquerque, you know, we've had 45 years of um, public art. And I think that um, our community is super appreciative and very willing to embrace public art and have conversations about it. Yeah, the conversation is really important, right? And, and the conversation that you have with the public and with the artists, with your selection committees and things like that, that we don't wanna shut that down, right? right? We just want that conversation to keep moving forward. Kind of, Erica, what you were just talking about is those nuances and right. the complications. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are many artists who think, well, I can do public art and they sort of plop stuff down and it can be anywhere. I'm not sure that that's the greatest way to do public art. I mean, some of that actually works. Um, 
the Calder piece in, in Grand Rapids, uh, mm. the Picasso in Chicago, but they also work because they get embraced by communities and publics, whether or not that was the artist's intention or not. Um, but I think I think the more successful public art is exactly what, what Sherry's talking about. Art that has public artists and communities and constituents all having some sort of conversation. And in that regard, I'm lots more interested in process and practice than actually maybe the final result, mm-hmm. um, which may have something to do as well with, with issues of temper, you know, permanence and, and temporality. Right. Public art might be the last great place where publics come together um, in the public sphere. And we don't have a lot of public space left anymore. Um, I'm speaking, you know, I'm thinking really broadly here and public art might be one of those public mm. spaces well, or so can be. You're, you're, you're getting into what I'm going to ask my next question in terms of what do you find most interesting about public art today? So I'm thinking about trends and challenges, opportunities, what we learn from successes and failures. So, um, Erica, since you, you're kind of on a roll here, um, <laughs> What, uh, yeah, what do you find most interesting? I'm always interested in new narratives um, and new ways of telling stories and, and the recognition that the, the histories maybe um, or ideas that were popular 50 years ago don't necessarily stand up or if they do, they might be a little bit different. Um, so I'm really interested in artists as storytellers. At the same time, um, I think it's incredibly important that artists engage in some way with the art making practice, with form, with style, with context, with environment, and of course with with public taste and and public values in order to create these sort of public art experiences. I don't think everybody can be a public artist, in other words. That's a complicated sort of thing to take on. Yeah. Well, and I would just share, uh, you know, I share Erica's interest in, um, you know, new technologies and how, how are we going to be able to look at blending artists and scientists and, you know, we have some projects happening here in Albuquerque around those ideas. But more importantly, what I'm really interested in is all of the diversity, equity, inclusion and access work that is going on throughout the entire field um, and making sure that we're um, not just commissioning the kind of regular blue chip artists that, uh, you know, that made their careers in, in the, you know, the 70s and 80s. We are really reaching out and making sure that we have um, artworks, you know, both permanent and, and uh, temporary that re- represent our community. Um, you know, we're bringing in uh, more diverse artists of color, um, diverse media, diverse styles, and um, also artwork that allows for different, you know, abilities to access it. Um, in different ways. So that also includes the, you know, high-tech media, mm-hmm. you know, things that can be heard, not seen. So just, I feel like we're on a whole new kind of cutting edge of having new ways of public art showing up in our environment. And and I think, that, Erica, you, you said experience of public art, and, and that's something that has changed dramatically since the kind of plop art phenomenon. Um, and that experience... Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so much more um, emphasis on, as Sherry put it, accessibility. Mm-hmm. I was just in, in Germany and, and in Berlin, and the contrast between going to some of the high-end fine arts museums um, and then walking around the various parks, which are full of public art, 
lots and lots of Holocaust memorials. The contrast between those art experiences is really dramatic. Um, publics are engaging with touching, feeling uh, in public art spaces. And inside the art museum, it's about sort of the authority and control of the museum institution. You know, don't carry that bag, check your backpack, stay away from the artwork. Um, right. And I think people are drawn to the experiential, um, the even participatory nature of public art. So, and this gets us to our next question is, so what project out there, current or ongoing or in the pipeline, are you most excited about? And it can be anywhere, anywhere in the world. So is there an artist or a project that's happening out there that you're following keenly? Well, of course, I'm focused here in Albuquerque. We have so many exciting projects going on. Um, we're, uh, we've, we've had in process a, uh, an opportunity to literal, literally partner artists with scientists at the Sandia Science and Technology Park here in Albuquerque. And these are uh, companies that are all kind of situated just outside the Sandia laboratories that are using um, technology that has come out of the labs. And so now we are going to be moving forward with the project to be able to partner them up with artists and most of those companies are doing things with either nanotechnology or um, aerospace or outer space mm. and so um, I'm really excited about that but then the other thing too is that we just launched um, a three million dollar call for public art for our Sunport and you know for local listeners and viewers mm. of uh, this uh, podcast they'll know that Albuquerque's airport has a really certain style a certain feel and we're putting together an amazing committee and um, really looking at how can we showcase new styles of public art that are still in keeping with the sense of New Mexico mm -hmm. um, but showing you know indigenous works in very authentic ways um, and bringing in new technologies and different styles both contemporary and traditional so that's a real balancing act when you're trying to make your airport feel the same but new right so that's that's a lot of fun yeah how about you erica i um i'm really impressed with the work monument lab is doing out of philadelphia yeah, absolutely. um and later this summer and into the fall they'll be doing um a piece uh, sort of collaborative project called pulling together and they're bringing a lot of artists together to washington dc to um, create temporary public projects on the National Mall. And I love that idea. A lot of people think the National Mall is too crowded, but it's only too crowded with certain kinds of public art. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of other mm -hmm. um, possibilities for the National Mall, and that's exactly what's going on. Um, different artists are coming together to talk about issues of race and gender and immigration and, and climate politics. So I'm, you know, I'm interested in, in those kinds of responses that a lot of public artists have to very established public art spaces like the National Mall. Right, right. So for for your projects that you're talking about, the Sunport, um, are those local artists? Are they New Mexican artists? Yeah. Or are you looking more broadly? Well, for the Sandia Science and Technology Park, we opened it up nationally because mm -hmm. we felt like it's a, it's a national laboratory. It's got technology that's being used for national purposes, um, for better or for worse. And um, uh, so we opened that up nationally. The Sunport project is for New Mexico artists only. Mm -hmm. and, and the National Mall, Mo Monument Lab, can you say a couple other things about Monument Lab? They're, they're a pretty sure. interesting group. 
They are an interesting group um, established by Paul Farber and some other folks a few years ago and you know, interested in the question, particularly in a city like Philadelphia, hmm. um, you know, who do these monuments from the 19th and early 20th century speak to and what core values do they embrace and what are some new ways of thinking about monuments? Um, and so they have um, proposed and developed scores of projects over the last decade or so. Plus, they also conducted a, a really significant audit of um, really? American public art in which they sort of tracked thousands and thousands of monuments and memorials and, and statues and discovered what most of us kind of knew already, which was most of them are monuments and memorials, at least, are made in honor of, um, of white guys on horses. A lot of them have to do with wars. In other words, there's a lot that's missing from public art uh, in terms of other kinds of American histories, American experiences, and American stories. Mm -hmm. And Monument Lab is very engaged in, in encouraging artists and audiences to think about or rethink those stories. Right, right. Yep. Yeah, we had a few of ours show up on that inventory as well. <laughs> right, every city. Yeah. Every city in the, in the States. So, um, Eric, I know you're working on a new book. And so my, my last question is, what are you currently working on? Um, what is what is really occupying your mind right now in terms of a project or a research project? So I'm still at work on a book that I'm calling Monuments Are Mortal, Public okay. Art, Permanence, and Cultural Vandalism, and, and sort of sorting through the lifespan, um, the temporary nature of public art and public art projects in general. And more specifically, I've been um, writing an article about um, the equestrian bronzes um, that mm -hmm. Ivan Mestrovich designed for the city of Chicago in the 1920s, which consist of naked Indians on fierce looking ponies at the entrance to a significant park in, in Chicago and the kind of public response that they generated over the past 100 years. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm interested in, again, public response to public art um, and sort of uh, issues of permanence. How about you, Sherry? Well, we have so many great projects going on. One I'm super excited about is a public, we did a call for artists and we selected four artists to do public artwork that ties in with the annular eclipse that's going to happen here in Albuquerque on October 14th at the same time as Balloon Fiesta. So we, oh, wow. we, we commissioned temporary, very specifically temporary, might even only be, you know, something that people really enjoy during the eclipse, which is a short amount of time. Cool. Um, so that'll be happening. Um, but I think what what I personally am working, spending a lot of time on is, um, you know, our Albuquerque City Council is amazing. They uh, approved an ordinance change to increase our allotment from 1% to 1.5% last October. Wow, October. that's terrific. And Oh, not only God. did they increase the funds, they uh, allowed us to insert some new language about what qualifies as public art. Wow. So we have temporary and digital media. And so what we're working on is putting together um, a major sort of um, uh, plan and criteria about how we're going to be able to use that influx of funds um, at the beginning of 2024 and um, how we're going to be able to really embrace and support um, artists that want to propose temporary temporary projects in digital media. 
so we have a we have a few more minutes. I, I wanna I wanna talk about that the temporary versus permanent, and and what has been the public response? Has has is that something that you have found here in Albuquerque? And then Erica, as you've been doing your research, um, do people understand what that temporary, even ephemeral, as public art? even though what we are typically used to is that permanent, you know, the white guys on horses. Has there been, you know, a kind of learning curve for the public? I think it's been a little more of a learning curve for our artists mm. um, because we've been so um, adamant about permanent, permanent, permanent for so long. We kind of um, started, uh, we found a little workaround in our own policy uh, to be able to start experimenting with that. So what we did, we were funding artists about $2,500 or $5,000. And what we would get permanent for the collection was a photograph of their temporary work that they installed. Um, but the public, of course, mm. embraces it. They're, you know event-based they can walk up to them they can interact with them they can take selfies with them they can you know promote them on social media i think the public is really excited and in tune with you know artists installing things in the public environment that are only there for a short amount of time mm. but um that education process with our artist is what we're what oh. we're really working on oh that's interesting yeah what i like about temporary projects contemporary temporary projects is the idea that they can generate in publics a certain degree of tolerance and maybe even generosity because mm -hmm. they understand, ah, I hate this, but I don't have to see this after a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Or maybe I can learn to understand this over the period of time that it's up. Um, sort of the fourth plinth project in, in London, which has right. been a long time in, in engaged at this point. Um, I just, I love the idea that publics need to learn a little bit of tolerance um, about the public sphere, which they already know. Um, I mean, we see houses go up, houses go down, big box stores go up, big box stores go down. Um, public art it doesn't have to be any different than that. Hopefully it can be a little bit more meaningful than that. Exactly. <laughs> and, and actually that's a really great place to end the podcast, talking about tolerance and generosity, um, the affective dimensions of public art. Um, so thank you both for joining me today. This has been a great conversation. Um, so any final thoughts? Erica, any? it's great to see you. Great to have a chat. Can't wait for the book to come out because we're <laughs> going to be probably using all of your information to help you know move us along on what, what stays and what goes. Thank you, Sherry. You've got a great public art program. You know, I've said that many times. So I, I think very highly of what you're up to and appreciate. And Joni, it's great to see you. I'm looking forward to the remaining 17 episodes for this podcast. That's, that's amazing. So. Thanks for that plug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You. Yeah. So thank you again. And thank you to our listeners. We hope after you've listened to this podcast that you will take another look at Albuquerque's Public Art. Please join us for our next episode, which will be released on Wednesday, the 13th of September. We will be talking about the history of Albuquerque's public art program. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Albuquerque Public Art Program, the Public Art Collection, opportunities for artists, and so much more, visit cabq.gov slash public art. To learn more about the Urban Enhancement Trust Fund, visit cabq.gov UETF. Tune in next time to take another look 
at the City of Albuquerque Public Art Urban Enhancement Division. 